Bears on Tap Show is live here on a wonderful thir- Tuesday. Sorry, not Thursday. The game's on Thursday. Wonderful Tuesday afternoon. I am your host, Juice on Tap, joined by, as always, the one, the only, Q, and Mr. Loose on Tap, who was in attendance for Sunday's debacle. We'll start and first give the floor to Mr. Loose. How was the game on Sunday, my friend? <clears throat> the first half was awesome. We were having a great time. High-fiving people I've never met before. You know, staring down Broncos fans like, ah, you suck. And then they come out of the half and they look like the same old Bears that we've seen all season long. And then we just sat there and we're kind of like, wow, we've, we've been bamboozled. We've been bamboozled thinking this team might have actually won that game. And you can hear it in my voice for those that have listened to any of our shows enough and you hear me. I am very hoarse, and that is all from Sunday. Because we were there. We were giving it our college try to really get behind this Bears team. And, man, they make it really, really hard, Juice. They make it really, really hard, guys. It's It, it was a depressing Sunday. It was a depressing Sunday. But, but – we managed to get a free beer on the way out of the parking lot. Uh, as we like driving past people, we did a chips for beer exchange. It was quite the epic transaction. So, you know, that was the silver lining, but great day tailgating in, in South lot. We played some battle shots. Uh, I think on two separate occasions, I sunk the USS Perry. Um, and uh, so we had a good time, man. It was a lot of fun, but um, the football game itself was, was, was something else, but from about 7 a.m. until 130, 145. It was pretty great. Pretty great. Yeah, chips for beer. Did uh did you meet up with Ryan Poles in the uh south lot there? Made a little trade there. Not not a good one. Q, my man. Thank you for joining us. How you doing, buddy? Um, I think a little better than Ron, but not far off, you know. <laughs> it 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 was rough, but my 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 expectations were already at about the floor most of that game probably because I wasn't there experiencing it in person so it was kind of like you could feel it coming to me it was like this is gonna go wrong this is gonna go wrong I can just feel it and it all went wrong and a big part of that was that feeling bears can't stop a cold like they can't stop a thing like why no lead is safe with this defense where it's at and when you're you're starting, you know, your third string nickel corner and your your backups on the outside, plus Elijah Hicks at safety, say Jackson's out, like you're you don't have a D line to survive with a secondary like that. So it's just no lead is safe for this team because it can be gone like that. And when you add in turnovers turning into points, it just blows it up. Yeah, they uh twenty eight to seven lead, they blow that lose thirty one to 28 a lot of some good in this game at least the first half was fun I mean that may be one of the best quarterback games by a bear ever in the first half I mean Justin Fields looked unbelievable and for some ways it seems like they moved the offense to make him look a little more comfortable which is things I think we've kind of talked about over the course of the last several shows and kind of like 
it just it, it pisses me off. The best thing about Sunday for me, I know you were at the game and, and Q, you watched and, and you knew this was coming. The best thing that happened to me on Sunday was I was able to sell my tickets prior to this game. And I didn't have to go. That was the best thing that came about that day. I'm at the point, too, where I'm just done in general with the coaching staff. And it just it makes no sense. And it's to the point, I got a little rant. As you guys know, this is my favorite Bears pullover. It's got a bear on it. I covered it up. And from the minute now, I am not wearing Bears attire in public at the games. And mind you, I am going to the Vikings game in two weeks. I will not be wearing Bears stuff. And if I do, I will have this same cover up on until this thing turns around. And I think it starts at the head coach and in a lot of ways with that front office and, and changes need to be made. But let's get into it. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, what happened on Sunday. And I got to ask you, I'm going to start with you, man. Does this look like a team that A, knows how to win and B, a, a team where a coach has the locker room and these guys truly buy in to what he believes? Because I think in terms of team sports, that matters a lot. We see it all the time around here. Chicago sports in general, David Ross was 15 games under 500. They bought in, they came back and, and made a run at it. It doesn't seem like Flus has that same, you know, notion in the locker room with these guys. You know, I actually, I actually think this team is pretty bought in, which is the kind of the, the scary part because, you know, I, I look at the defense. I, I don't see guys slacking out there. I don't see guys. It's not a lack of effort. It feels like it's a lack of actual coaching and player development and scheme. And just there are so many things working against them. And I think on the defensive side, I think they are very bought into to, to Fluce. But it's not working. You know, it's like you, you can be as bought in as you want. If, you're, if, you're, if your schemes aren't working and your players aren't developing, it's not going to get you anywhere. So... The offense, I could see them being a bit less spot in just because that is not where Eberflus is at. You know, I mean, Eberflus calling the defensive plays. He's holding the defense coordinator position as well as the head coaching position. So I think he's just more involved with those guys. But on offense, I think you you, you can question the buy-in a lot more. Um, but even that, like, I mean, those guys were playing on Sunday. Like, I don't think there's a buy-in issue on the field. I mean, I, I look at... I've watched every snap of the Bears O line once for every player playing, and I, I don't see I don't see guys not trying. I don't see guys quitting on plays. I, I, I see guys who are sometimes put in spots that really don't favor them. But for the most part, even Sunday, I mean, the play calling I thought was pretty much fine. It was execution that was the problem, and I don't think it was a lack of effort in executing that. Yeah, I, I think just to add on to what Q had to say too, it, it 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 never felt like this team like didn't come out prepared to play in terms of energy or anything like that. Even being in the stadium, it was very apparent that they were they were there. But to, to Q's point, it's one thing to not be bought into a well coached football team. It's another thing to be bought into a flawed system, and that is just the unfortunate nature right now of what is what is this Bears coaching staff? What has been this Bears coaching staff effectively since Lovey Smith left, right, outside of maybe Vic Fangio being the D.C. for a few years? 
I mean, that is really kind of what we've been accustomed to now as Bears fans. And I, I unfortunately, I think Sunday was uh, just another case of that. Yeah, it's it seems uh, it seems like they're just stuck in a rut where they don't know how to win, and that's that's truly where we're at. I mean, loss and loss does take a toll. I mean, let's be honest here, guys. Like watching NFL teams grow, there's baby steps, and this is the title of the the episode: "Baby Bears, Baby Steps?" Question mark. I mean, there were some baby steps. It looked different. I think before I left the show uh, last week, I said just lose in a different way. At least they did. At least they looked somewhat entertaining for a half of football. It's it's somewhat of a baby step, but I think that kind of gets us into the meat of the game where this thing kind of went off the tracks. And I'm going to pull up a comment from, from Ravi here. Ravi talking – hold on one second. Did it come up? Trade Fields, the media forgets the fumble six, the intentional grounding, 77 QBR in the second half, a pick 10 of the game with a tire lead in hand. Boom. I think this comes down to the final two drives. Kind of want to talk about that. Ron, we'll start with you. What was your opinion on the offense being called and decision-making on the field in terms of those final two drives of the game? Why you don't go for a field goal in that situation blows my fucking mind. Why, why even give them a chance to march down the field and add three points at that point? That was just a failed, flawed coaching decision. You know what should have happened? Worst case scenario, Fields is playing with the tie. And if they feel comfortable going into overtime, that's completely different. Instead, you put him in a two-minute situation that should have never happened. Like this is this is the thing. And I'm I'm not here to call out Rabbi. We love our listeners. Thank you for commenting along. We we appreciate the hell out of you guys. But like I've seen this juice. You and I talk about this over at Cubs on Tap, too. I'm thinking back to that Seiya Suzuki drop catch in Atlanta, right? Oh, it's Seiya Suzuki's fault. They lost the game because he couldn't catch a fucking baseball. Oh, it's it's the Bears' fault because Justin Fields couldn't execute a two-minute drive at the end of the game, even though statistically had his best career game as a pro. 335 yards, four tugs. He, had a, he was 16 for 16 at one point in this game. The dude looked like he couldn't miss. In both situations, you look at the entire overall body of work for this team and you say they should have never been in that situation to fucking begin with it's bigger than just one player and i i agree with robbie trade fields but not because he's not the answer i think he just needs to get out of a dysfunctional organization at this point that continues to fail him year in and year out they had the quarterback before the coach before the gm before the president that's not how it should be immediately fields was in a bad position and then for them to go for it on fourth down when a chip shot field goal is yours to be had, and then you put the pressure on the Broncos to have to score, not to have the luxury of like, oh, if we can add a field goal, we got this game in hand. Because then they're at least having to play for the tie at that point, not a lead. There's a different sense of confidence in a team when you're going to have to tie the game to stay alive versus, hey, if we fail, we go to OT. If we get there and kick the field goal, we win the ball game. And that's exactly what happened. That second to last offensive drive, that the decision at the end mind boggles me. Absolutely mind boggles me because you know what? I know a lot of people are, are, are shitting on fields that he wants guys to, to clear and come open and whatever. But like, even when they were sitting in zone, he took what the defense gave him and it worked. They marched down the field. They were at the 18 yard line, able to kick a field goal with ease. And instead they opt not to Denver comes back and takes the lead 
And now you put the pressure on your team when you shouldn't have ever been in that position. The the play calling, the decision, just the decision-making, not even just play call, the decision-making at the end there, to me, that was almost kind of the final saw, the straw that broke Flusa's back, I think, as head coach. How do you not take points there when you were shut out in the entire second half? To me, that's just – it was – everybody – they try and you burned a timeout to what? To trot them back out of the field and not get it? Oh, my God. The dumbest thing – you already hurt yourself then if you do have to be on a game-winning drive because you can't stop the clock. Terrible, terrible, terrible decision-making. Absolutely awful. Yeah, I think uh, the audience who told me the other day, Cairo Santos deserves better. Um, Q, I need your uh, I need your opinion on these. So, Ron, I'm actually going to push back a little uh, on your take here because I I liked going for it there. Hated burning the timeout. Hated the fact that they didn't ask Fields to throw what maybe once that whole drive. It was, they they kept the ball on the ground the whole drive down the field. They they had no interest in putting the game in Fields' hands which I think is sin in and of itself when you have a quarterback that you're needing to make a decision on to not make sure you are finding out what he's made of. But going for it there, I understood. Going for it with a fourth straight run, I did not understand one bit. Um, and why I say I understood it, I think Eberflus sitting there looking at his defense like, these guys can't stop, stop a touchdown. We're going to give him the ball right back and they're going to score a touchdown. We need to run this clock down and get a, get a touchdown for ourselves. It's the only way we can make sure that we're going to win this game. Um, so that I understand. Or I feel like that makes logic logical sense to me. But to not put it in your QB's hands there, I, I'll just never understand. And not, not even just on the drive, but on that fourth down play. On that, like, so through the whole first half, right, the Broncos were running match concepts. So they, they were running zone with, or man coverage within zones and man coverage. And, that, and Fields was destroying them. In the second half, they started running spot drop. And that's when, like you said, Ron, to Fields' credit, he was taking what was there. And really, like me, I, I want to see him start hitting anticipation throws in between zones. Mm-hmm. But like baby steps, right? We're, we're getting somewhere. He was, he was getting yards. There were always little things that kept getting in the way of drives in that second half that were kind of kind of throwing it off because it's when you're just taking what they give you, you need to be pretty darn perfect a lot of the time yeah. because you can't, you can't have penalties, you can't have sacks, anything like that. But in those last two drives, Vance Joseph said, oh, let's, let's venture back out to these match concepts. And they didn't put the, like, in the second to last drive, they got what Fields was killing the whole first half, and they weren't asking him to beat it. Mm-hmm. Like, and on the last drive, man. So I, I can sit here and pound the table about how the coaching staff needed to get us a chance to see what Justin Fields is made of. And we got it. And it, I'm, it sucks. I mean, I don't, I can sit, you can sit here and say, well, Cole Komet did the wrong thing. It's gray area from everything I can tell. Cole Komet, it seems like from everything that I've read about with through the comments, did the right side adjustment for the route, 
and Fields didn't want him to do that and threw threw a ball with anticipation to him, like exactly what we've been hoping for. But it's like at some point here, because th- this is like I want to say the fifth or something turnover in a late game close, like within one score that we've seen from Fields at some point. I can't keep making excuses. And I think this game was that point for me. I just, this stuff can't happen. Whether it's the mis, whether it's a miscommunication, you need to make sure you and your, you and your receiver are clear on what is going to happen where. If it's something like something was misheard in the huddle, you like it, it, it all comes back on the quarterback one way or the other, whether that's fair or not fair. And it just, it fucking sucks. Yeah, hardest position in sports. And Ron, any rebuttal to uh, to Q pushing back a little bit? No, I, I I think that's completely completely fair with Q to say. I think the one thing at the end of this Q that we can sit here like the old um, the old the old meme with the two hands yeah. locking arms and on the other side is like at the end of the day, just it was poor execution all the way around, right? Yeah. At the at the end on those final two drives, because to your note, Vance Joseph gave you the the defense that Fields carved up in the first half, and you didn't take advantage of it. And then on top of that, when they were just dropping back into the spot zone. Yeah. They really never, it did feel like they ever really changed the game plan. Like you still, it, it felt like there was a lot of man beating routes and I, I'll, I'm going to go back and watch the film and, and clarify on that. Cause I want to see for myself, but it felt like there was a lot of man beating routes run in zone. If that makes sense. And for people that don't understand that, like, yes, in theory, every play can be run against any defense. But there are some specific plays that are like, oh, if we see this look, it's designed to kill that. And it felt like they never took advantage of it. Like, to me, a perfect anticipatory throw for Fields in that situation, if you're Getsy and you're just trying to give him that opportunity, if they're sitting in zones, just, just run option routes and tell your running back or your tight end or whomever, run a curl find the open zone and sit and let field wing it to you with his strong arm. That's how you beat that zone. And then when they start trying to, Ooh, maybe we can't just let them have these 10 yard completions downfield. And they start running those man concepts again. Then that's when you let that deep cross open up and, and let fields hit guy like more in stride, or you, you hit that the slant or you hit those type of plays. It really, I think at the end of the day, it was just poor execution all around, especially in that second half, right? I know we're talking the last two drives, but in the second half as a whole, and I think that's what's so frustrating about it because Q, like to your point, right? Like making no excuses anymore. Like I'm at the point now, and I'm going to save this in detail with my final thought later in the show, but I'm at the point now where that lack of execution all the way around is really just kind of to your point, Q. It's, it's kind of, it's 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 taken that last little bit of grasping at at straws to make an excuse that they're gonna get it right. I just can't anymore, and that's that. Like you said, it fucking sucks because that's that's where we're at right now with the Bears. Ron, I actually have a. I'd love to hear you explain. Like, so on the fumble, right? They had the free runner coming mm-hmm. off coming off the weak side, and. A miss block on the other side, but that's neither here nor there. That's not the guy who caused it. Right. And I see way too many times on Twitter after plays like that. Why are they just letting that guy through? 
<laughs> and as a former offensive lineman, can you, can you shed some light on that? So in those situations, especially when it's a boot, the, the, the idea of this is why if you ever watch like NFL films, this is something that's very easily consumable for football fans. If you ever watch something that's NFL films and you, you listen to guys like Brady or, or Peyton Manning, I think is a perfect example of it. Why guys carry out their run fakes so heavily is in situations like this because in theory the whole idea of letting that free guy go is you want him to sell run you want him to commit run you want him to scrape down the line of scrimmage because as soon as he cuts in he loses edge contain and that's exactly what you want but it comes down to a few things it's on the the offensive line to sell run in that situation you cannot even give the defensive line a sense of hope that it's pass because they ran that earlier in the game and they got bid on it where fields got out and he got mm-hmm. deep on his rollout and he, he got out there in space. You want to free up that extra guy because effectively on any rollout, it's play action. Every single time it's going to be play action. So you have to be able to, to sell run. Well, in a lot of run concepts, there is a free man that you leave go. And I know people are probably like, that's really stupid. No, no, it's not because unless you're all world, that backside DN's probably not making a play on a run that's to, you know, the yeah. left C gap. That's just not happening. It, it plain and simple, right? Like a, a, a big common play, especially if you ever played high school football, right? 54, 55 counter. It's an outside run. It's an outside run to the outside of the tackle. You're coming back the other way. In theory, that end should even slightly commit. And in the NFL, it's so fast and so minute. He needs to take two steps inside and Fields has him beat on that rollout problem was the Broncos weren't fooled and that goes back to my point a little bit about full execution that includes the coaching staff the Broncos saw that early in the game the exact play you need to be able to run that again but actually hand it off to Herbert and effectively gain six seven eight yards once you start doing that you right you you can't you can't as an offensive coordinator have that play in the playbook and on the run play, you let the guy go free because that's normal and run, right? You want five heads on five heads and he's out of the play. Unless he's all world, he's not making that play. But you also need to be able to sell the same thing if you're going to set up the play action rollout. Bears didn't do a good job setting that up throughout the game. And that is why that free guy is there. But for people that are like, why would you ever let a free yeah. guy come free? That is more common in run scheme than I think a lot of people realize because more often than not, in real run scheme, especially in zone, which is something the Bears love to run, that backside guy, nine times out of ten, is not making the play unless everything – he's just scraping down that line 110 miles per hour and making the play on a, on a cutback. And I want to highlight two things that you said in there. One was about the importance of the fake. Mm-hmm. Like, if you watch Hard Knocks, you saw how hard Aaron Rodgers works on his play fakes. That's why. You need to sell that hard. And number two, what you said about Fields' rollout, you said getting proper depth or adequate Mm -hmm. depth on the rollout. I just saw a video from JTO Sullivan where his opinion is Fields did not get enough depth on the rollout there. He he was too quick to turn and try to throw, and he probably should have just kept running backwards and out because he's faster than that guy. And – he saw the guy and just kind of went to, I got to do something, you know, like, so Mm -hmm. I think that that's really important to think about with like 
because we see this happen so much. Teams do not want to crash down the line against the Bears because Fields is just too much of a threat. So you need to get really good at selling it and really technical with your drop depth, with, with everything in the play for, for to not get killed sometimes. And mm-hmm. that was an example of we did not see the technique play out. Yeah, I think a good teaching moment for Justin and for the offense too. I'll tell you what, I learn something new every time you guys open up your mouths on this mic. I'll say that. Um, moving on, uh, Justin had a nice day, all things considered. I think looking at you know the the first half, they did a lot of things that made him feel, feel comfortable. Q, I got a question for you, man. Like, there's a lot of people jumping on this kid in Twitter. I mean, Ravi over here in the comments wants him to trade him already right now. What does this kid got to do over the course of this next couple games, too, to just break away from this narrative that, like, he's not the guy? Because I think that's a good step. I think Sunday's a good step. What more can they continue to do to make this kid grow? Yeah, I mean, like I said a little earlier, he's going to keep seeing spot drop. Like, D coordinators know that he does not like to throw to the soft spots between zones because it feels risky to him. So they're going to keep showing it to him till he proves that he can beat it. And like not every week is going to be like Vance Joseph just in love with match concepts and man coverage and can't stay away from it. Like he he's going to see a healthy dose of spot drop the rest of the season until he proves otherwise. So he needs to be hit. He needs to prove that he can beat that. And like Ron said earlier, hit, taking the underneath stuff, that's great. You know, but it's really hard to string together a full drive of that unless you're Peyton Manning. Like, you just need to be on your P's and Q's with everything. And it's just, I'm not sure that's realistic for him. And with his arm talent, I'm not sure it needs to be. It's the trust throws. It's the, this is the concern that you get when you have a quarterback who doesn't have, or that I get. And this is something that I've been toying with the last few years of like, how do these guys, these young quarterbacks, learn what NFL open is. Mm. They need to have guys that they trust to throw to, right? They need to. And at some point, I think there's a, I've never done it. So I just can't do, I'm not going to do it that way. And I worry that whether we're there with fields or not, like, I don't know, you know, maybe we're not, but maybe we are. And it's that, that's what makes it tough because you have that contract clock ticking. They need to decide on his fifth year option next year. So he needs to show growth there. He needs to really, I mean, not put up four touchdown 300 yard performances every week, but like this week, it is a tough commander's defense that they are facing like a disgusting pass rush. And I think they're, they're only in the middle of the pack on the back end, but like they've got talent back there. It's, I, I need him to be a difference making player in this game. And I, I don't know what stats that necessarily means. You just, you know, you watch it and you you know when you know. And I need him to be a difference-making player, making big plays and big moments. And I, if he does that against this defense, against I don't even I don't even know who the next good defense they play after this is because they have Minnesota a few times who isn't really they they don't have much a corner, but. Um, I need to see it happen against good defenses and stack these performances on top of each other. Like I need another good week and then another good week and then another good week. Like it needs to be a stretch of him throwing the ball. Well, throwing with anticipation in between zones, because that's, 
he if, if he starts throwing with anticipation in between zones consistently, I'm not sure there's anyone who would say they don't want Justin Fields as their quarterback. But that's that's the thing. He needs to do that. Yeah, to me, that's 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 the biggest flaw in his game, right? You, you said it perfectly, Q. There, the arm talent's there. Like he can make the throw. Mm-hmm. It's having the confidence and the trust to make the throw. And I, you know, I, I think it, it's it's going to sound a lot simpler than it actually is. But to me, the, the thing that he needs to do to have a future in Chicago is, especially with guys like DJ Moore, especially guys like Darnell Mooney, who he on record, has very good relationships with and trust with. There needs to be a couple of those throws every game where he goes, you know what? Fuck it. DJ, DJ's down there somewhere, right? Like, that that needs to be the aspect here. Because I think that's a lot of what helped guys like Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen develop in their third years was, oh, well, fuck it. AJ Brown's down there. Oh, well, fuck it. You know, Stephon Diggs is down there. You have DJ Moore, who... I know a lot of people claim he's already underutilized and they haven't used him enough, which I think is 100% true. He's still on pace for almost 1,300 yards, people. Like, it's crazy shit how, like, actually under the radar good he's been. But you know what? You're you're 0-4. You're, you're effectively playing for your career. At this point, the risks need to be taken. And I think this is, again, a lot easier said than done because – Fields has never been that kind of guy that's been in positions where he needs to take those type of risks. But now is the time. I want to see three, three throws against the Commanders Thursday night that are, fuck it, DJ's down there somewhere. And just throw it to that spot and let DJ go get it. Let your playmakers be playmakers. Justin's such a playmaker himself. Translate that to the players around you and just... Just throw it to an area and see what and trust your guys. And you know what? If your receiver isn't there and you make the throw, at least they could say, hey, I was anticipating DJ to be there and he wasn't there. That's a hell of a lot better of an answer than, oh, I didn't think DJ was open, even though, like you said earlier, when do these guys learn what NFL open is? NFL open and college open, very different. So and do that before do it. it's the uh the last drive of the game. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Take, we your, wanna... take your chances earlier. You yeah. don't need to. You don't need to test the waters in the last minute. You you have all game to test it. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see some of the same. It was good to see him like use his feet, get out of the pocket, reset, throw. We ripped a lot of nice throws on Sunday. I think that's that's yeah. one of those real nice silver linings that they can they can look at and say, all right, now now this step one is build on this. Um, but still with all of this, they want to run him out, man. And it's, it's getting crazy. I mean, I'm already seeing people on Twitter who are mock drafting and doing that little draft simulator and picking Caleb Williams and, and then, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. Right after it. And they're already making up the, the, the duo of the century for the bears in that, that realm. Ron, I got a question for you first, man. We started with you on the last one. <laughs> what is this? I just want you to paint a picture of what this team team looks like without Justin Fields because there was a lot of good and he, he made a lot of things happen on Sunday. Juice. Let's be honest with ourselves. I know everybody's in love and dreaming of Caleb Williams. And, you know, you, you hear all these media heads like, um, you know, like Emmanuel Acho and, and, and some others and Terry Bradshaw, right. On the NFL, you know, Sunday show and, 
oh, we want to see Caleb Williams go to Chicago and Lincoln Riley follow him. Yeah, that sounds great. In in a fucking fantasy land, how dare any of you assume they're going to get it right? Seriously, right? Like, you can make it, and this is the thing that mind boggles me, that people don't understand. Caleb Williams has already come out and said, he doesn't want to go to a dysfunctional organization. Guess what the Bears are, folks? A dysfunctional organization. You know why? Because you hear all these crazy reports that Ryan Poles only had three coaches he could pick from when he was hired as general manager and couldn't do an actual coaching search. And that John Fox was forced on Ryan Pace back in the day. Unfortunately, it doesn't matter a fucking shit what you see on the external side as a fan. Because if that internal side up in the suites isn't correct at the top, none of it matters. So what does this team look like without Justin Fields' juice? A lot of the same. They're not going to get any better. They can sure as hell get a lot worse. But I don't know if they're going to get a lot better. And who's to say Caleb Williams doesn't sit out another year and go back to school? He can NIL money, baby. NIL money has changed the game for these teams that it's one thing for a team to have a really bad season, right? Like look back at the Indianapolis Colts. They had a one really bad year because Peyton got hurt and they lucked into Andrew Luck, right? That worked out. Colts are a fairly decently run organization overall, I would say. More so probably years past than currently, but neither here nor there. Why Why do you think the Bears are going to get it right? I don't. Not until the top changes. So, Juice, what does this team look like without Justin Fields? A lot less entertaining of a football team that's probably just a bigger steaming pile of garbage than they already are. Two. <laughs> so, I'm going a little bit different in a direction on that because, love it. you know, Caleb doesn't want to go to a, a dysfunctional franchise. He's going to be picked number one. There aren't many number one picks, teams that get the number one pick that aren't dysfunctional. Like, I mean, you could end up in, I don't know, the middle of Arizona. You could end up in, in I want to say Cleveland, but Cleveland isn't really in that territory anymore. But you, you know what I mean? Like, there are so many places that are just not the market that Chicago is. And if, if you're really sitting there saying, I don't want to go to Chicago, you are just missing out on a whole lot of money from that. Very like the, the opportunity in this city to just be to walk on water if you are the Bears quarterback is massive. And we need to see that Kevin Warren is actually in charge, right? But if he is, then I, I'm interested to see where it all goes. Cause right now the bears have like a 40% chance at the number one pick between themselves and Carolina. Like it's a ludicrous. Oh, I don't even know where those crazy. numbers come from. I'm not sure how solid they even are, but the facts that that has been put out there by reliable outlets, like is ludicrous. And it's enough for me to think about it. Like, and listen, I love Justin Fields as a player. I want to see him succeed. If he's going into his third head coach, and his or his third GM before he's started his fourth year in the NFL, the odds are he's not being successful in Chicago. The odds are he it's probably like Ryan Tannehill who got to Tennessee and suddenly looks like a different player. Like that that's probably what 
what it's more more similar to. So I think the best chance for Justin to succeed might be elsewhere after the season, unless he just completely blows us away the rest of the year, which who knows, maybe he does. But at that point, with the, the Bears have for the number one pick, I, I am dreaming of Caleb. I am dreaming of Caleb Marvin Harrison or Olu Fashanu and like what that could be. And one of the largest reasons why think about the bears head coach hires the last like four head coaches, Mark Tressman inherited a quarterback aging roster, you know, probably wasn't the most ideal coaching gig in the NFL. Um, next guy, John Fox, you know, again, Roster is like not there inheriting a quarterback again in Cutler. And then you go to Nagy, another inherited quarterback. And then we come to Eberflus, inherited quarterback, no first round pick, tons of dead cap. And, and the talent is dwindling on an aging roster. The time to hire the head coach is right before the good stuff starts to happen. Not right after. And the Bears have consistently done it right after. Same with the GM. That's when you are going to get people excited to be the Bears head coach. People who you didn't even think about as candidates before because they just they weren't interested in talking to you. Like, so that's where I'm I start to get excited of like, you know, I mean, they could get that all-star GM because they, they have number one and number three in this draft. They have a hundred million in cap space and who the hell doesn't want Caleb Williams plus the rest of that. You know, that that's where I start to say, if Kevin Warren is really running anything there, I'm really interested in where it all can go because you are starting to talk about just a King's ransom of assets. That the bears will have with everyone wanting to be the hero that came to Chicago and fix stuff with it. As opposed to the the historical situation of bears got crap and you got to fix it somehow, <laughs> like yeah. So that that is what does get me excited about what a future without Justin Fields could look like. Obviously, I I want Justin Fields to succeed. I want him to be the guy here, but I'm just not sure that it's realistic at this point with where we're sitting. Like, what does Eberflus have to do to save his job? Win six straight, like. <clears throat> And I'm not sure another head coach is going to be any good for Justin Fields unless it's a change of scenery. It's a fair answer. I, I think, too, like just, just to echo that point, getting everybody on the same page, at least make sure that certain guys are up for their job being on the line and they're all together in it. Opposed to you have to figure out this horrible chain of command of who really is at fault at this. And I feel like that's where the Bears have been our whole lives. It's it's almost like we sit here and we say, oh, is it Justin's fault? Oh, is it the GM's fault? Oh, it's the McCaskies. No, it's it's the new president. It's it's this guy. It's that guy. I've got a calculation. It's always a quarter McCaskies, a quarter quarterback, <laughs> a quarter Ted Phillips, and a quarter Bill Polian. Always. So where did Ted Phillips's uh, quarter go? Does that just go straight to, to Kevin Warren now, or is that a – is that just floating out there to be, you know, thrown on anybody else? It's just hanging out in the deli. Okay. Let's figure it out. <laughs> fair enough. Very fair enough. Um, but, and Q, it, it sounds like you don't really have faith in, in terms of like where Ryan pulls at with this whole thing. And I, I look at the, this group 
of, and then I looped these guys in the same car, Justin Fields, Matt Eberflus, and Ryan Poles. And this may turn into, you know, when like mobsters have like the fall guy, that just may be what this becomes. And the next GM that comes in will be, you know, the head honcho mobster type guy that can run things at, at loop, you know, and that's, that's kind of, it's interesting. It kind of brings us to what we were kind of talking about that Ron, and I want your opinion on it. Do you, do you have any opinion on, on Ryan Poles? Do you trust him to even make the right decisions down the line here? Is this, is he a dead man walking? Cause we all know Eberflus is times numbered. Um, I think Ryan Poles kind of turns to the bears conversation now. I think this is where I sit. <clears throat> I don't even know if it's to your point, juice hire your draft, the quarterback, you know, or in, and as Q said to draft the quarterback, hire the coach, hire the president or, you know, the GM, hire the president. Everything's in reverse order with this organization. It always has been. If Ryan Poles is still here making decisions after the season, Kevin Warren's not in charge and nothing's going to change. So do I trust Ryan Poles? I'm going to just flat out say no because of the fact that if he's the one still making decisions, I don't have faith that the Bears are going to get things correct. And I think Q laid it out perfectly, right? You clean house and clean slate if you're Kevin Warren. Now all of a sudden you do have kind of the, the, the key to the castle in terms of the NFL. You're the, the, the marquee franchise, the first original franchise that still exists in this league. You are one of the, the one of the three t- top three, four biggest cities in the country. You are the mo- one of the most recognizable brands in football. Oh, and, and you get to be the GM that comes in and gets to pick your guy to, to pick your quarterback. That's the dream scenario to me. That's the scenario gentlemen where Ron Luce comes back on bears on tap with the, the big foam necklace and the, the shades and the we're back, baby. That's when, that's when I get excited. Truthfully, I like that to me, that is the decision that needs to happen. Is Kevin Warren in charge? And does he get that opportunity to get anything to add? Yeah. I mean, so I've sat here thinking about this a lot the last like week of, you know, Part of me says, after two years, Ryan Poles has told me who he is and what he wants to do. And I'm not not really a big fan of it so far. Like, I, I love the idea of accumulating draft capital, of smart spending and free agency, but it has a limit, too. And so far, it feels like Chris Ballard more than, like, someone who's had more success with it. It feels more like a guy who's not going to take the take the risk he needs to to get his team over the hump to get them to where they need to be, but more like the guy who's just going to keep accumulating and accumulating and accumulating. Now, maybe maybe he, we haven't given him enough time to figure that out. But you know what? I don't care. It's not fair. It's not right. Enough with the Midwestern hospitality, though. We want to win football games. As fans, we want to see the Bears win football games. And doing what's right there, giving Ryan Poles his third year, I'm not sure that's the way to win football games. At the end of the day, he gets a paid vacation out of it for the next three years, two years, whatever it is. The biggest detriment to that, I think, is the 
the fact that the McCaskies keep paying him and Eberflus for years, I don't know if they have the cash to do that. But I think as far as the football side of it goes, you have to clean slate. If you like Ryan Poles has given me very little reason to trust that he can build this thing around a, around a new quarterback that he can get the, that he can get it right and build the roster to where it needs to be. And it's, it's, it's awful to say, Hey, thanks for Darnell. Right. Thanks for DJ Moore. Have fun on your way out of town. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. But like, that's kind of what it will be. And I, I'm generally fine with it. If it means that they start getting stuff right. Yeah, I think I think the worst thing that came out of your mouth there, Q, was talking about the McCaskies and how if they have the money or not to let him go. Yes, they own an NFL franchise. Enough with the the not opening the wallet anymore. If you uh, truly want to win, to build a stadium that requires a lot of capital, man. Yeah, well, you know they're they're going to figure out a way to to build that. Regard, they have enough more. Mo- they have enough money to circle all of us thirty five thousand times over. I, I hate that whole they, – they've backed their way, that McCaskey family backed their way into that whole thing. Spend some money. I Absolutely. And they don't do shit for the fans at all. If, as a season ticket holder, I'll say it, I we just got a season ticket holder rep last year. That's And we've had them for 20 years. They Enough with the day-to-day running your – like a penny-pinching – company you're not you're an nfl franchise you make money hand over fist every sunday and that's and you know, if you got to get it right if you have to move on you're gonna have to spend money at other places anyway so just do it right i'm tired of all the bringing in first year gms first year head coaches you know first year scouts enough of that it, get it right and if it costs more money to get it right well so be it we'll, we'll buy more merch and you'll sell more tickets and success will, will come in the end it, I just I hate that there's that running bullshit with the McCaskies. It just that that pisses me off. The one thing counter to my point with all that is the day that that stadium opens, they need a winner on the field. Yeah, mm-hmm. flat out, they need a winner on the field for their pocketbook, like for their reason to get their inve- return on investment. And I think that that is going to be the probably the largest part of any decision that's made is they cannot risk having a loser on the field when they open that stadium. Yeah. And that's, uh, you guys both nailed it on the head because this is now the time this is truly this off season coming up really does feel like that time now where you have to get it right. Like you have to say, is Kevin Warren our guy that we trust to run this franchise and make decisions. And if so, I, to me, you have to let him clean house. You have to just eat those, costs of, of firing poles and Eberflus and say, Hey, if we get this right and Caleb Williams comes here and plays like he has in college and we get a, a, a top player to go with him, whether it's Harrison jr. Or somebody else. And you, you build the, the, the defensive pass rush and you get a good product on the field. To your point, Q, by the time that stadium opens, they'll make their money back. And then some you're the Chicago bears. Mm-hmm. When you're good, everybody in the city of Chicago is happy. There is no divided house like there is in baseball. There is no, oh, we don't care about the sports over at the UC because there are people that are like that. It's the NFL. Like, at the end of the day, if you get it right and you're winning games, all the other money shit figures itself out in the end. So in agreement with you two gentlemen, 
you got to get it right in order to get the money. And if you keep operating in any other way but that, it's not going to go well for you as a franchise. And that stadium is going to look even worse if they're a three and fourteen team when it opens. Yeah, if they if they could tell me that they were going to hire the right guy, I'd sign up my licensing for New Arlington right now on my seats. I'll tell you that. But I don't pay it because I don't believe in the organization. And they're already hounding us season ticket holders to to license our seats. They have it at Soldier Field for years, and then they're going to do it at Arlington Heights too the minute they get the chance to build that thing. And it's it's already – the numbers are already astronomical for somebody who – has had their seats for a while. It's uh, it's an interesting, but moving on from that, I digress. I'm sorry. The McCaskies get me up a, up a freaking wall sometimes, man. Um, but again, we're probably talking about a new head coach at this point. This is exactly where this conversation is going. And Q, I know you've already, you know, prepared a couple names for us to look out for. I'm going to start with you. What are uh, some head coaching candidates that you like? Yeah. So, all the credit in the world to PFF Brad, Brad Spielberger. Go to PFF, check out his article about this. He wrote an article about what the Bears, you know, what to pay attention to the rest of this year to be ready for what might be coming. And, you know, he breaks down like five different coaches in there, talks about um, potential free agents, potential like uh, of what's coming in the draft. Like it's, a, it's an awesome article, so go check it out. But as I was looking at the coaching section, I was thinking like, all right, what, what are, what are three traits? What are three things that I need for the next Bears head coach? If I'm, if I were running it, like what are the, what are three things I want them to hang their hat on? One offensive play calling experience and success. I, I actually want ups and downs um, because how do you know they can never get out of a rut if they've never, never been in a rut? Like, I want to know that they 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 have been schemed for and found ways around it. Um, number two, I want a quarterback to have developed under their under their tutelage, whether that was when they were a quarterback coach, offensive coordinator, whatever. I want them to have personally developed a quarterback because I, I need proven commodities. If if Caleb Williams is coming into this franchise, you need someone who has experience doing it. Like Luke Getze walked into Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers is already there. Oh, hi, Aaron. Hi, you're really good. This is fun. Like, we can't have that. We, we need a guy who has seen it personally, worked through the, the downs that are a rookie quarterback, and gotten them back to the ups. Um, and number three, I need them to be connected individuals. Well-connected individuals around the league Maybe that means they've been with multiple teams with multiple coaching staffs and they, they have a big tree that they can pull assistance from because this guy needs to build out a whole staff, right? Like it sounds great to hire 34 year old Joe Schmo who ranks first in EPA per play until you realize no one likes him and he has no friends or like whatever it might be. That's, that's a bad way to put it. But like until you realize he has no one to bring with him. So he's just going to have to rely on his agent to build his staff for him. You sound like you're talking about Bo Callahan in here, Q. Bo <laughs> Callahan has no friends. Yeah, exactly. We don't want Bo Callahan running this team. <laughs> um, so the three guys that I've I have sparked interest for me more than the others that I've seen out there. The first one, everyone loves this guy. Everyone talks about him. Ben Johnson, Lions offense coordinator, 37 years old. 
12 seasons in the league, spent eight years with the Dolphins, was there for two different head coaches, though. Love to see a guy who stuck with the team through multiple head coaches, like Sean Desai was that guy in Chicago for years, right? He, he, he lasted through regimes. Now Desai is like a, a really good D coordinator, like, and he might be getting head coaching, get like interviews soon. So th- those matter to me when I see that a guy got to the Dolphins under Joe Philbin and stuck around for the next coach. Um, and then he got to Detroit under Matt Patricia, stuck around with Matt Campbell. Like that, that screams to me, this guy is good at what he does. And he's gotten Jared Goff out of the – like, they bought him at scrap value, right? It was like, uh, you're just helping the Rams get rid of this contract at this point. And he, he's got Goff, honestly, in an MVP conversation right now. Like, he was able to pull this guy out of the gutter, get his confidence back up, get hit, build an offense for him that works for him, and get him playing lights out football again. And it's, it has an elite O-line which I think cannot be understated because the run game might look different when you don't have those O-linemen that Detroit has, but I'm still interested because most of these coaches you're going to see, they come with really skilled players around them. Now the next guy though, he doesn't. That's Bobby Slowick, Texans offensive coordinator. Right now he has the Texans playing lights out football on offense. And I mean, I thought the Texans had some talent, but were lacking in wide receiver. And I thought it was going to be a rough year for CJ Stroud. Now everyone's laughing at me because CJ Stroud looks tank in this offense. And that, like, Nico Collins is just torching everybody. So, Slowick background, 36 years old. He was on the famous Shanahan coaching staff in Washington. He was a defensive assistant on that team with Robert Sala. And on the defense side, on the offensive side, what was it? McVeigh, Kyle Shanahan, um, McDaniel. Matt Lafleur, yeah, McDaniel, like all these names. Like if you're if you're hiring from the the guys who were there, it's worked out really well for you so far. So you're you're just kind of hoping that continues to work out. So he was a defensive assistant in Washington. Worked his way up from a video assistant at first. He was just just a guy who made video cut ups for them. And like kept grinding, kept grinding his way up and, you know, getting in tight with the Shanahan's. And his dad was a coach on that team, too, as well. We'll get to that in a minute. But after the Shanahan's were canned in Washington, he actually went to work for PFF for a few years. And then Kyle, Kyle Shanahan got the job in San Fran, brought Slowick along with him, left PFF, PFF in the dust, said, I'm out of here, back to the NFL and was in was with Sam Fran starting as a defensive assistant, moved over to offense in 2019, took over as offensive coordinator a few years later, or a year later, I think. Um, or no, yeah, last year when McDaniel got hired away. And then uh, this year went to the Texans to actually call plays because he was the OC in San Francisco, but Kyle Shanahan calls plays. So he went to Houston to call plays for D'Amico Ryans. His dad, Bob Slowick, coached in the NFL for 20 years. Big, big green flag for me there. Relationships. This guy can build an NFL staff because he spent his life around NFL teams, and he knows so many coaches. His dad was with like five different NFL teams. He he knows the, the, in, the ins and the outs of the organizations, of the people who were there. That That is something that I love. 
his dad was a Bears defense coordinator under Wanstead from 93 to 98, actually. Um, and his work with C.J. Stroud just speaks for itself so far. Obviously, it's a to-be-determined because it's a rookie quarterback four weeks into the season. But so far, early returns are good. Last guy, I'll go a little quicker on him, Brian Johnson, Eagles offensive coordinator, 36 years old. He was the offensive coordinator for at Utah but by the age of 25. He was the guy who took over the starting quarterback role at Utah for Alex Smith when Smith went to the NFL. Um, he has worked with a bunch of quarterbacks. Every place he's gone, the quarterbacks have done well. He coached Dak Prescott in college. He coached Kyle Allen, Allen in college. Derek King, Kyle Trask, Anthony Richardson. Uh, and he was a big creditor or a big reason. He gets a lot of credit for his work with Jalen Hurts last year in his breakout year. This guy is a QB guru. And there is a lot to like about his history. 36 years old, younger guy. I'm not sure if his staff is just going to be filled with college guys. Like that's probably one of my bigger questions for him. Like who is coming with you, but like his work with quarterbacks is pretty evident based on his resume. Ron, you got anything to add uh, to those or any, any other names that uh, Q didn't mention? No, I, I, I did see one interesting thought today and I, I think it plays Q into your thing. And I'm not saying I agree or disagree with it necessarily just bringing it up for sake of the, the thought provoke thought provoking, but about the idea of bringing in a, an experienced head coach. I saw that floating around on, on the old Twitterverse and a guy like Dan Quinn was brought up. And to me, it's an interesting name because of the idea of, well, he's well-connected. He had Kyle Shanahan as his OC in Atlanta for a few years, right? Like that idea of being well-connected and bringing guys through, but at the same time, that feels very similar for me, like to a John Fox hire. So I like Hughes list. I do. I think a lot of those names make sense uh, in relation to Johnson. Speaking of uh, being just for people that maybe don't understand to be an OC at the age of 25 is insanity. I don't care how old or I don't care what level of football you're at. Like there are 45 year old grown ass men that aren't even OCs in high school. Like, this dude was 25 at Utah, which is a Pac-12, which might not exist in two years, but a big-time college program like Utah at age 25. That's nuts. But I, I agree with Q's points. Q, I think you nailed it. I think that's spot on. You want guys that have been around the NFL long enough, have gone through the ups and downs of what the NFL is, right? Like, you don't want the – I don't want the guy that – gets the cushy job and has one good year and everybody's like, Oh, he's so good. No, I don't want that guy. I don't want that guy. I want the guy that's been through the trials and tribulations of what the NFL is. And to Q's point, who has a success with a quarterback? I know everybody says, well, teams have won super bowls without an elite QB. Sure. I know that's happened. I'm very familiar with it, but the unfortunate truth, especially where the NFL has evolved, you need to have at minimum, a very good, if not great quarterback at the helm. And a lot of that comes from development. It's not all just not everybody's Andrew Luck or not everybody's Peyton Manning who walked through the door and, and become great. Look at Tom Brady. He was a sixth round draft pick, for example. Development is just as important at the quarterback position as anything else. A, a perfect example for those that scream that the Bears passed on Patrick Mahomes. I can promise you right now, Patrick Mahomes would be a backup on some team if he didn't go to Kansas City, too. All right. He got developed by one of the best quarterback whispers that are exists in Andy Reid, who we watched turn Michael Vick 
into, you know, what Michael Vick became with the Eagles. Obviously, Donovan McNabb had a great career there. What he did with Alex Smith in Kansas City after Alex Smith kind of faded away and, and fizzled out in San Francisco where he was the number one overall pick. Development is critical. Q, you nailed it on the head. I, I just I just want a guy who, who actually knows what the hell they're doing yeah. to be the Bears head coach. To add to that one th- to, with development, I think that there is a – Again, this is just something I've played around with in my head of like, man, maybe this is one of the problems with coaching hires. And like, I think quarterback development and winning run counter to each other. And I think coaches who develop quarterbacks well aren't necessarily coaches who win. And I think that that is something that I'm going to try to keep, keep in my mind more as like, if the Bears are drafting another quarterback, it's like, it's all about the quarterback. I think Matt Nagy would have done a pretty darn good job developing Justin Fields. I don't know if the Bears would have been any good, but I know that the quarterback would have been in good hands. I really believe that. And um, if, you, if you're not getting the quarterback right, you're not getting anything right. If I have to live through three years of a quarterback getting better every year, but the team not necessarily winning or not being as far as I want them to be, I, I'm okay with that. I can live with that because after those three years, you go find the coach who's ready to win. Or you, you have it the best way possible, and you you find that that quarterback development guy to be like a quarterback coach, right? Yeah. Like I think I think a perfect example of that is, you know, a guy like Matt Nagy being able to just be the QB coach and work directly with a Justin Fields. Have that guy on the staff, right? And to your point, Q, it goes back to who you know and the relationships you build in the NFL. Yeah. Hey, hire the right guy that's going to get you to the right place and know what you got to do. And and whether that's an offensive coach and he he schemes it up and, and and they can win games, it's great. But also find the guy that can be on the staff that can be in the quarterback's ear day in day in and day out and help in his development to ensure you you can get the best of both worlds, right? And yeah, you might lose that guy after two years because he's probably going somewhere else to get a better job. But at least if you get that groundwork laid that's when things improve into the future to your point Q. So I, I agree though, incredible point to bring up just because you're good at developing talent does not mean you're a winning football coach. They are not always synonymous, but if you do find one that are synonymous, you hit the jackpot. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, the next guy that comes through, if he's an acronym guy, he's got like hits or something. I may just drive off a bridge. I'm going to tell you that right now. <laughs> They're all yeah. the same. Juice, they're all the same. They all have acronyms. I don't they I don't want it. Be you. I don't want it. Find the wise. All the same thing. I don't want it. I don't want it an opening presser. I I don't want him coming in and saying it's the hits principle. We do this, we do that. I'm football-y. No, just just if if you don't want to coach a coach, go hire an accountant. Well, I may I guess I'm gonna hire an accountant. (laughs) I guess I'm hiring accountants because I'm I'll tell you what. I could have Tim Beckman and dollars, pennies on the dollar to coach my football teams. I'll tell you that. But moving on, I think we'll we'll move on from this game and uh, get our final thoughts on it. Ron, I'll start with you, buddy. It sucked. My heart is broken. I'm officially hurt, as my little name tag says. Um, some good, some bad. I'm I'm putting it in the review. Uh, on on to Washington. On to Washington. Q. Final thoughts. The absolute irony that 
shitty spot drop defense is the Bears Achilles heel on offense is just hysterical considering what the Bears run on defense. Like it, it's just, it, it is way too ironic. It is just, I I hope it's not true because it's just, it's comical. It, it is utterly comical if that is the thing that really hurts this offense is Maddie Rafflus's genius defensive scheme. Yeah, well, the Bears are ironic in general. Um, but yeah, uh, so we're going to move on. Well, the Bears play quick turnaround. They play on Thursday. Um, so the national um, squad will get to see the Bears in uh, in action Thursday on Amazon Prime. Um, Q, we'll start with you. What do they got to do to win a football game finally? It seems like forever. I, I want to see them win a football game. Can they do it against the uh, commanders uh, in Washington? Sam Howell's going to give you chances. You got to take advantage of them. You, you got to be – I mean, oh, I, I dare say this defense ain't stopping anything anyways. You got to start taking chances from from your, your zones. Like you, you got to start trying to anticipate stuff and just go, attack it. If there's a 50-50 shot, you're probably going to give up a touchdown anyway, so might as well try. Like, that's how it feels with this defense right now. So, Sam Howell will give you chances. Take some 50-50 shots and get the get the football because the Bears have two turnovers on this season, and both of them were against the Chiefs' backup quarterback when they were down by 40 points. That's not – in no world is that okay through four games. Like, not, not in the hits world especially is that okay. Like <laughs> – I mean, that, that's it's comical. Um, on offense, I mean, Fields has got to got to see it and rip it. Like you will not have time to think to second guess. I, I wouldn't be shocked if Fields still wakes up feeling the pain from the hits he took in this game last year. So, like, he's got to see it and rip it. Get the ball out. Like that doesn't just mean dink and dunk. It means throwing with anticipation three steps downfield like you see it you hit it and trust dj Moore, trust darnell mooney you gotta trust your guys i don't know about trusting cole Komet because he gets pushed around by cornerbacks but um yeah trust your guys <laughs> trust your guys loose what do they got to do to win a football game seems like forever i i am on the same page here as q and everything that he had to say. So I'm just going to sum it up in like one sentence. Fuck it. Just go for it and see what happens. That's it. Plain right. and simple. And that applies to both sides of the ball to Q's points. Re-listen to what Q had to say folks. And then when you can't remember every word he said, just remember what I said. Fuck it. Just go for it and see what happens. Yeah, and when you forget it, just remember the hits principle. Um, back-to-back questions here for uh, for Luce here, and then we'll, we'll move on. One, score prediction, and two, head coach prediction. Will Matt Eberflus be the Bears head coach um, going into the game against the Minnesota Vikings? Uh, if they lose on Thursday, I think he gets canned um, because of the mini-buy, um, according to reports. That's – the belief, I don't know how true or not true that is. So I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. Um, I don't think he's here because at this point, does it matter who's running the team? Because I don't think it does. Um, score prediction. <sighs> Commanders 20. No, I'm giving them too much credit. 
Commanders 23, Bears 10. All right. Q. Commanders. Life's too short to pick the Bears to lose. Uh, <laughs> Commanders. 24, Bears. 27. All right. Even Foose has his job done, I assume. Yeah, I mean, I, I know, I, I've seen all this stuff come out today about like if he loses, it, it's, it's done. Um, I just have a hard time believing it because who's, who's gonna do anything at Hallis Hall? Like they'll have five guys left to coach offense, defense, and special teams. Like they're, they're just short staffed. Like what? What is is George gonna come down and start coaching linebackers? Like. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what if they if if he is fired and george comes down and, and then you get virginia coaching the uh the wide receivers the bears may never lose another football game ever again is that you get virginia out the turf it they'll start winning i'll tell you that they'll be breaking it down for her, i'll tell her that but um we are approaching the uh our 10 mark here and that'll be our our getaway point as bears on tap is one of two chicago bears podcasts here at the on tap sports net make sure you're heading over and checking out the bears nation podcast they do such a great job um bulls about to start hawks ronald you find them over there also starting counter bedard already looks amazing um thank god yeah need something good to cheer about in chicago uh cubs ended unfortunately not the way we wanted um you can find both ron and myself over there uh doing the reaction to jed hoyer's press conference we're going to be doing that um in a few moments here uh white Sox, of course 101 lost season you can head over to socks on tap if you want to talk about that like I said, www.ontapsportsnet for all your sports and literature needs. And I said this last time on, I think, a Cubs on Tap show, but it's getting real damn close to Christmas. Christmas is coming, man. Make sure you're heading over to www.ontapsportsnet, checking out that merch shop, because you may be the kid at the bonfire next year or this fall, and somebody walks up to you and goes, hey, man, that's a really cool shirt. And they're like, yeah, that's Tap Sportsnet. You know, all these takes I spit out, that's where I get them from. And make sure you're heading over and not being the guy at the barbecue or the guy at, at Christmas party that doesn't have an on-tap shirt because I'll tell you what, man, they're they're sweet. And make sure you're heading over to www.ontapsportsnet to read all the great articles. Uh, both these guys do such a great job of covering their respective teams. Q every week does his preview. Uh, also head over to his YouTube channel as well because he goes into depth on all – of the bears woes these days. And like I said, Ron does such a great job covering like 17,000 sports uh, for on tap sports net and myself juice on tap. You can find me on Twitter and the Cubs show. I do not write, but I do have thoughts boys. Let's get out of here. The only way that we know how um, bear down, bear down, bear down boys. <laughs>